0: Let's pray together. Father, now we come to the preaching of your word. We thank you for the preparation that's been made. But now, Lord, let your word go forth and accomplish that which pleases you this morning. Let us not be distracted. Let us focus our attention upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 14, where the Bible says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, Matthew 7 in the New Testament, beginning in verse number 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, literally a hurricane came along, and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his hand land, a house on the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it business giant lei akoka those of you that are a little older, you will know who that name is, from the Ford days, Chrysler days, Dodge days, once said, the only rock that stands steady, the only institution that works is the family. In 2012, there was a conference hosted by the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. It was produced by the Marriage and Religious Research Institute, and there were several people in this conference that had PhDs, and they said this, only 45% of U.S. teenagers, 45%, that's under 50, have spent their childhood with an intact family, which constitutes the biological parents legally married to each other since the time of the child's birth. Meanwhile, 55% of teenagers live in families where their biological biological fathers have rejected such uh, having excuse me have rejected each other either through divorce or extramarital affairs after several days this group of phd's came to this conclusion and i quote a nation is only as strong as its citizens and a lack of a strong family and a lack of strong families weakens human social and moral capital which in turn, directly affects the financial and thus indirectly affects the military and foreign policy strength of the United States. A great nation depends on great families, but weak families will build a weak nation." In my humble opinion, I believe in the conclusion that these PhDs at this conference came up with, that if the family succeeds, our nation will succeed, but if the family collapses, our nation may collapse. When you think of the home, what comes to mind? Usually it's a father and a mother and children, right? Well, today, that's not necessarily the case. Just a little over 100 years ago, Webster defined the family as this, the group comprising of a husband and wife and their dependent children, constituting in the fundamental unit in the organization of society. They have since changed their wording. Today, it's defined as the basic unit in which society traditionally consisting of two parents rearing their children notice the change of wording here from husband and wife to two parents also any various social units differing from uh, form but regarded as equivalent to the traditional family i.e the single parent family and there's a lot of them and i praise god for some of you that are single parents in this room and the the tasks that you have we've got some wonderful single parents in this room And I praise God for them and for you. But who knows what the definition will be 50 years from now. Because we have today people who are marrying themselves. We have people who are marrying cats, dogs, pillows, computers, Barbie dolls, Eiffel Towers, or Eiffel Tower, trees, a video game, a video game character, a train, a picture of themselves, goats, cars, realistic dolls, the Berlin Wall, Sonic the Hedgehog, which I like, but I would never marry, My Little Pony, snakes pottery, dolphins, and even a fairground ride. I wish that I were making this stuff up, but I'm not. There are some strange people in this world and some strange things going on. A few days ago, Kathleen got in the mail a children's magazine, and one of the little articles said this. There is a growing movement among parents not to disclose the gender of their babies. And it's not just that they're rejecting the gender reveal parties. Many of you have seen those or even had part participated in them. These parents are raising their children without gender, shunning the personal pronouns such as she and be, or I mean she and he, in favor of They. Hence, the new term instead of baby is baby. That's not the worst part. They are calling them babies until the child is old enough to decide on their own which sex that they are. What has happened to the home today? Today's families are being built on a foundation of sand rather than up on the solid rock. And the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter four tells us that God created the family unit. He had Adam and Eve, and then they had uh, Cain and Abel. And it, listen, folks, we can do all the best that we can. I'm sure Adam he had a lot of intelligence. He thought he did the best as can, and one of his children was a murderer. So don't feel bad if you guys feel like your children have grown up and all of a sudden they have turned on God. You've done your best. Don't blame yourself for that. I'm sure Adam may have done the same with Cain. But Jesus in John chapter 12, or John chapter 1, I'm sorry, John chapter 1 verses 1 through 12 put his stamp of approval on the family when he attended the marriage at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. For me, home was a great place. I'd walk in after school or after, in the summertime, after playing, and I'd smell my mom's cooking. My brothers and I would play in the yard or even in the street. We didn't have traffic back in those days. We were allowed we could we could we could play in the street and not worry about anything. It was a great time. We'd go and visit grandma or both my, of my grandmas, and it was fun just going and visiting them. Home, to me, was a very happy place. It wasn't perfect, but I looked forward into going home. It made me feel good. We have children today in our school that will stay late every day after school. They'll come to my Wednesday night or our, our Wednesday night Bible studies, and they'll purposely get a Saturday detention just so that they don't have to go home. Wow. A few moments ago, we had the privilege of dedicating Micah to the Lord. We've done this with our two girls, and it's a very serious time because we're making a pledge before God and before you in this church to make our family stronger through the help of God. And some of these pleasures are very difficult to keep. You know, we sit up here, we say, hey, recite these after me, and we, and we recite them, and you guys listen to them, but have you ever thought about them? Well, that's what I want to do this morning is to break that down for you just a little bit. Well, first of all, I want to talk to you about the purpose of the home. The purpose of the home is to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, according to Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 4. Nurturing means to discipline, and that discipline comes through correction. We have to constantly be telling our girls, uh, and my mom would constantly be telling us, No, you cannot do that. No, you cannot do that. Well, I, I remember ex- exclusively, my mom would say, Do not, David, do not. I just finished cooking. Put your hand on the stove. Well, I was too stubborn. And so my mom took the pot off the stove, and I always wondered, why in the world should I not do that? Boom, ouch, that hurt. Hurt a lot. And I, was, I had the burn and the scar from that for a long, long time. When your parents tell you not to do something, automatically we got to kick in and say, oh, we've got to do that. Why in the world don't they want us to do that? You know, my parents would always say, look both ways before what? Crossing the street, right? So you, you look, what do you do? You look left, and then you look right, and then you look left again. While you're looking left, right, left, you're what? Walking, okay? I did that in the Bahamas once. They drive on the wrong side of the street. I did not realize that. So I'm walking, left, Ah! a car just barely missed me barely missed because they drive on the left side of the road and we drive on the right. I almost got hit. Six years of age, I was not so lucky. My dad and mom had talked constantly told me, look before both ways before crossing the street. I was fast, I was tiny, I was nothing, I was invincible at six years of age. I had already fallen through the roof in our house because my dad told me not to step on the pink stuff up in the, in the, on the ceiling. And I like stepping on the pink stuff in the ceiling. It felt really good and soft under my feet. And boom, right down under the the ground. Eight feet. Broke a chair. Six years old, I felt invisible. I had already been in the hospital for 10 days. They had no idea what was wrong with me. I had to learn to get up and walk again. I had some disease. I don't know what it was. I had to learn to walk all over again. It affected my muscles and all that stuff. It was strange. And I had already gone through that. I was still fast. And I said, "All right, dad, we were at a my a, a good restaurant. It was called you don't know it, but it was called Burger Chef. It was like a Wendy's and a McDonald's. It was a fast food place." And we'd go in, I went in there and we came out and we had our stuff in the car and my dad, you know, we we're going oh he goes, "Oh, man, I forgot the straws." I'll go get them. I'm 6 years old. I can be responsible. I get out of the car, I look both ways, I run in there, I grab the straws and I run out. And you know what I said, you're looking left, you're looking right, And but I'm running this time. And all of a sudden when I looked left the second time, there was this purple 1966 Bonneville brand new car. Those Bonnevilles had those points on them like this. And That point of that car and I collided. And I went up in the air and came down and I looked up and I was underneath the car. My dad had seen everything. My dad loves scolding hot coffee. And, you know, he wanted to take a sip of his scolding hot coffee. And he took the sip and was looking out like parents do. We watch our children, even in rearview mirrors. We want to make sure they're safe. And he looked out, and he saw me get hit by that car. You would think he would just carefully put that down, carefully walk. No, my dad flipped that coffee onto my mom. That made things worse. And then she, they got out of that car, and they made sure... I just found out that that couple had just, I didn't know this till years later, that couple had just gotten married, and they were coming through to get something quick to eat before they went on their honeymoon. And that couple was so distraught, they came, went to the hospital, um, the hospital was just a little bit down the road, so my dad drove me there, I told him I was fine, and just, you know, you're crying as a six-year-old boy, and I go down there, and I'm i am in there, and, and they're with me, and... The doctor said, if you would just quit crying, I'll give you a sucker. (laughs) That quit. That was good. That was good advice. He checked me over, and I was fine. I was fine. They didn't really hit me that hard. Um, I was just a tiny little boy, and so it just kind of made it look a lot worse than what it was. But you know what? My dad had told me and told me and told me to look both ways. Your children, you're going to correct all the time. You've got to correct them in the nurture and the discipline of, of the Lord. And, and Lord. and the Bible does tell us in Proverbs 13:24, whoever spares the rod hates his uh, child, but he who loves them is diligent to discipline them. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That's true, for, especially for me as a boy. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15 says, the rod and reproof will give wisdom, but the child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This does not mean that this gives you the right to abuse your children in any way, shape, or form. You are not allowed to abuse them vis- uh, verbally, physically, or even sexually. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6 tells us not to provoke our children to wrath but to, or, or be counterproductive in our discipline. We need to discipline our children in love, and we need to show mercy and grace. We want this type of discipline from our Heavenly Father, don't we? What if God disciplined you and I the way you discipline your children? Most of us wouldn't like it, would we? Most of us would hate it. Most of us would regret it. Sometimes we discipline our children in anger, and we have to apologize. But how would you like it if you disciplined your children the way God disciplined, uh, if you did, if God disciplined you the way you discipline your children? But then it doesn't stop there. And I thank God that it doesn't stop there. It says the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We need to put praise in our discipline. We need to bring balance in our discipline through praising. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 tells us out of the Living Bible, being punished isn't enjoyable while it's happening. I never enjoyed that. My mom, I just told this in my Sunday school class this morning, my mom had two brothers and she had a bunch of boy cousins. She was the tomboy of the family. She loved sports and things like that. And then, you know, she got saved and God changed her for somehow and I don't know. But she never had good aims. You know, God had made a special part of our anatomy for disciplining, and my mom did not know where that special part was. And so as her custom, because we thought this was hilarious, she used to use yardsticks. My brothers and I, I say that because we were all three, like three years apart, and our our custom was we had to bend over and grab your ankles, and she would take the yardstick and, you know, give us a little swat. We want to make sure it stung. Our goal was to see how many we could break. They were wonderful. We did, didn't do anything. Our, you know, we'd say, hey, did you break it? Yeah, we broke it today. Yahoo! We were happy. My grandmother worked for Purdue University. She worked in one of the uh, uh, Greek houses. And they had these... Fraternity paddles. If you've ever had a fraternity paddle, it's about a half inch thick, and it's very contoured, and it's very hard wood. And she brought that to my mom one day and said, here, you may use this on your children. Thank you, Grandma. Appreciate that very much. Now, for some reason, my mom knew where the yardstick was to be applied, She did not know where the paddle was to be applied. And of course, as six years old, I did not bend over and say, may I have another, please? I moved a lot. And I remember one time I did, and oh, I was shaking all the way down. You know, you're supposed to go this way. I'm like this. I did not. My mom said, if you don't, you're going to get another one. And she meant it. And I would bend over, and she would slap, and it hit my thighs. Ouch. That was worse. I hated to be disciplined because it hurts. Well, Hebrews said, the writer of Hebrews says, punishment isn't enjoyable while it's happening. It hurts. But afterwards, we can see the result, a quiet growth in grace and character. When you see your children grow and they're doing the right things, there's times that you think your children aren't looking and listening, but they are. When they do the right things out in public, you're proud of them, aren't you? Well, you have to show 10 times the amount of praise than you do punishment. Let me illustrate that for you. Let's say I had a whiteboard up here and I write out one Plus 1 equals what? 2. And then I went 1 plus 2 and 1 plus 3 and 1 plus 4, and I get all the way to 1 plus 8, to 1 plus 9, to 1 plus 10. And it comes out 1 plus 10 equals 11, right? Okay? How many of you saw my mistake up there? Oh, well, I'm surprised. You weren't paying any attention. One plus two does not equal two. What most people have done, and I used to write this out on a, on a board, and I would do the one plus two equals two, and I'd go on, and all the teenagers, would, you would see them. There, I'd be going on and on and go all through ten, and they'd, they'd be looking and saying, look, he, he made a mistake. He made a mistake. He made a mistake. Because it seems like I can get nine of them correct, And I miss one, we focus on the one, don't we? I love you all very much. You see this thing? It's called our church bulletin. And God has graciously put a lot of you in our church to let me see my mistake. I will do the church bulletin and then I let somebody proof it and they will come back and they have mistakes. And there'll be one or two that go through the whole proofing process and it'll come out on Sunday and on Monday I get to hear about it. Because 99% of the bulletin could be correct. But if I put one little extra letter in there, I will hear about it. You see, our tendency is to focus on mistakes instead of focusing on praising. Admonition has to come through good counsel. It has to come through good advice. It has to come through reprimanding. It has to come through encouragement. If you begin to praise your children more, you might get better results from them. Admonition is found in many different ways. A few of those ways can be that you as older adults can mentor others. You can mentor our younger couples who are just having children of their own. There's not one child in one family that is the same or identical. That's why it's so hard to figure out everybody is different. Those of you that have more than one child, You know the difference of every single one of your children. All four, uh, three of my brothers, all four of us boys in our family, all of us are completely different. We have some similarities, but we're all different. And you as older couples, your children have grown. You are able to mentor them. In China, you cannot foster a, a child in the foster system until your children have already been grown and out of the house. Then you are allowed to foster. I like that because you've already raised your children. Now they want you to help raise somebody else. And you can learn from these older couples. You can adopt other people in our church. Why do I mean by that? 1 Timothy 1.2 says Paul adopted Timothy as his son in the faith. Take somebody under your wing. Take them out on a a dinner. I I like doing this with with some of the teenagers just going out and say, hey, we're going to go have lunch. While we're having lunch, I give them some good advice that they can live by. I love doing that because I think that I'm old enough now that I can help them in their lives. We can learn from other people and other couples who have experienced similar things in their life. All we got to do is communicate and talk to one another. I hate it that when we come to a funeral that we find out about a person's life. I didn't know they did that. If I had known they had done that, I could have talked to them. And yet it's too late at that point. Learn about what other people do and then get to know them a little bit better and then he can help you maybe with the circumstance that you're going through. Timothy learned this, learned from his uh, grandmother, Lois, and from his mother, Eunice, according to Timothy chapter one and verse five. Paul said... You could also imitate people. Paul told the church at Philippi, imitate uh, those things which I, you have both learned and received and hear and seen me in me, Paul says, do them. Find a good, godly couple, a good, godly person, a good, godly adult that you look up to and imitate them. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me. And follow my example and do as I do. Secondly, we come to the provision of the home. We are to provide for our family food, clothing, shelter, and even an inheritance. Yes, you heard me right. Even an inheritance. Proverbs 13, 22 tells us that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Sorry, Olivia, you might not get that. I hope you will. We're working on it. But we are to leave an inheritance for our children. We are to set the example for our children. But however, I have found that many families have gone way into debt, and they sometimes can't even afford to take care of their children's basic needs. When I used to run a bus route at the church I was at before, I would run a bus route, and I would see these kids with nothing in the dead of winter with shoes that had holes in them because their dad would go and spend all of their money on different things, and it made my heart sad. And even if I got them a new pair of shoes, he would steal the new pair of shoes and take it and sell them just so he could go buy something for himself. I hope that that's not the case with any of you. Take care of your family's needs. Then we come thirdly to the protection of a home. As parents, our baby dedication that we said this morning, causes us to pledge certain things. It causes us to make prayer and Bible study and church attendance a vital part of what? My weekly activities. Most people would just say, if it's a convenience for me to pray, if it's convenient for me to read my Bible, if it's convenient for me to go to church today, I will go to church. You know, we say, well, Sunday is the only day I get to rest. It was the only day God, well, it wasn't Sunday, it was Saturday God got to rest. We celebrate Christ rising up from the dead on Sunday, the first day of the week. And we can't give God one hour of our time. Something is wrong with us spiritually then. It says to do Bible reading and Bible study and church attendance is a vital part of my weekly activities, that these are the keys to carrying out our pledge. What are those keys? These keys are this. Little eyes are watching what you're doing all the time. Little ears are listening to what you're saying all the time. Little eyes are watching what the people in the church are doing. They need to see you as a parent wanting to pray. They need to see you as a parent wanting to read your Bible and wanting to see you happy when you come to church. They need to see you as a parent wanting to see you worshiping Christ Wanting to see you singing praises to our Lord and Savior with a happy face. They are wanting to see you give cheerfully back to God. They are wanting to see you listening to the pastor when the word of God is preached. Little eyes are watching you. What are they seeing? Little eyes are watching while you're young, while they are young. Because what do you think will happen when they get older? I'm praying, I have the same prayer that Pastor Andrew has. I want to see my children grow up loving God and loving his church. To live for Christ, to live a Christ-like example is what it says after that, before your child. How are we we, to live a Christ-like example before our child? In my life, again, little eyes are watching you. In my language little ears are listening to you. In my leisure, little eyes are watching where you are going. And then it says, and in all activities of life. We need to pray for our children regularly and earnestly. We are to seek the salvation of our children. How are we to do that? Through prayer. We started praying for our girls Uh, From day one, before we knew, when we started the process of adopting, we started to pray for our girls that God would save them one day through teaching of godly principles and proper exposure of Christian thought. Then it says, I am to guard my home against the invasion of anything that will disturb its spirituality. Wow, that's a huge statement right there. This includes what your children watch on TV, on their computers, on their tablets, and on their phones. It includes what they listen to. It includes where they go. It includes where they, who they hang out with. It includes their friends. And sometimes we have to say, no, you cannot hang out with them. They are a bad influence. And it's tough to say that. We have to sometimes even say, no, there's a certain family member I do not want you hanging around with. They are not a Christian. They're going to be a bad influence on you. I don't want you to hang around them. Because it says we are to protect our home against the invasion of anything that will disturb its spirituality, and then anything that that will disturb its security. This includes that you and I as a parent have to keep our children safe, no matter what. We have had four break-ins at our home, four. People have asked me, why in the world am I staying around here? Because I can't afford to go anywhere else. We've had four break-ins. And every time we try to make our home safer, we try to do things to keep my, my children safe. I want to keep them safe. I don't want them to come into our home again and find out that somebody has broken in again. I want to try to do my best because I feel it's my God-given duty to, to protect my family. And then lastly, the promise of the home. Proverbs 22.6. We've probably quoted this a lot. You have quoted this a lot. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Is that a guarantee? No. Doing your best train them up. They have all the principles. They get older, they've got to make decisions on their own. I'm sure Adam had trained up his child and Cain became a murderer. It, it, it It's not going to always be the perfect scenario that you think it's going to be. Your children are going to rebel. They're going to run, want to run away from home. I know there was a time I had my bags packed one time. I wanted to leave I got out of the house and I was out in the country and there was no place for me to go. It was like farmland for as long as far as the eye could see. Man, I I wanted to leave home, but then I realized my parents were going to take care of me. I was getting hungry. I wanted food and I knew who to go to and that was my mom. Train up a child. That means it takes a village. It does take a village. All of you can make a difference in someone's life, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are divorced, whether you're even widowed. You have a purpose, and that is you can help others. We can only do this, folks, with the help of Almighty God. That's how we conclude it. So help me, God. We cannot do it in and of ourselves Because you and I are powerless. We are powerless. There is nothing in us that's good, that can cause us to do good. But praise God. God himself is all powerful. And with his help, we can accomplish this. So now, let's get out there. And let's start building stronger homes. And let's build them on the sure foundation. The rock the solid rock Jesus Christ let's pray father I pray that you will help us to understand that our homes are important that God a good strong home I believe will build a good strong church and a good strong church will build a good strong nation God, we need to get back to you in our homes, in our churches, and in our nation. Help us to do that with your help. Give us all the wisdom and the insight and the direction, the discernment that we need to make ourselves better for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.